it is morning huddle time. A sense of belonging in a company actually increases job performance by 56%. It's like a lot of times all of that 3D data is there. They've done the work. They've done the engineering. They've done the slopes. They've done all the 3D polylines are already in their file. There's just a huge disconnect between what they do and the builders right now. 13,000 available unfilled construction jobs in this country, 11 million available unfilled jobs overall in this country. One of the great culture things I see in construction is people just get it done. At the end of the day, we've built 100% of the building. There's no 80-20 rule. Think of the technology that has been that has been brought into existence in the last 60 years, and you think of the productivity gains that have, say, occurred in agriculture, which is up 1,750%. Our manufacturing, which is up 400%, and construction is flat to negative. This was always supposed to just be a six-episode mini-series. <laughs> Stacey, I want to remind you of that. Good morning. It is morning huddle time. Chad Prinky here, as always, with Stacey Holzinger. Stacey, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. Uh, I, uh, I spent... Um, I spent the weekend in your 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 original stomping grounds. I was up uh, with uh, my my oldest brother, who is he went to the University of Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. and he has been wanting forever. I mean, for quite a long time, twenty years, to do a weekend with me in Philly and like show me Philly as he sees it and understands. Which we had a blast. It was a really really good time. I ate you know. Uh, we we did uh, some of the classic things, but uh, the the art museum, the Philadelphia Art Museum, which is unbelievable. That my is parents a, a live right around there. They just moved there. My lord, that place is you could get lost. I mean, we we went in like intending to spend three hours. I think we left after seven, and we were starving. We were like, oh my god, how did this happen? Um, I haven't been there since. Like, I was a kid. So, and it's, I have reasons to go now. <laughs> it is, it is a truly impressive collection. I, I don't know how much of it rotates or whatever, but it was, it was awesome. And it's, it's so funny because I'm, I'm, I'm like, um, so I've got two brothers. Here's a little something. I've got, I've got two brothers. I've got an oldest brother who is like museums, art, languages, all that kind of stuff. I've got an, a middle brother who is uh, construction, building stuff fishing, hunting, uh, drinking beer, right? Like that, mm -hmm. that kind of combo. Yeah. And I love both. I will just yeah. do whatever <laughs> they want to do. You That's know? Awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'm, 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 uh, you know, I'm very flexible. So what, what's going on in your world? What have you been up to Stacey? So I just got back from Vegas from my second in-person cohort session and it was so lovely to meet everybody again in person and work on some, you know, some of our projects. But this Friday, I will be joining MCCEI. That's the Maryland Center for Construction, Education, and Innovation with Jennifer Duez. Duez? She's going to kill me for mispronouncing her name. But um, I'm ex really excited for that. So I'm volunteering for the day. It's out in Timonium. And it's celebrating careers in construction. We have 500 kids. It's going to be the first time we ever did this in Maryland where we pull high school kids in and we worked with contractors and they're going to be heavy equipment and everything. They get to feel, touch and talk to contractors um, on a larger scale. And this is kind of the pilot program. And it's based off of Catherine, 
who's going to be joining us for our final episode of the season next Tuesday, who's had great success with this in New Hampshire. She has, I think it's anywhere from a thousand to 1500 kids. And they like look forward to this event because she does it so well. And I think she can tell us next week, but she's been doing it for around 10 years now. I think we met, didn't we meet Catherine when we were at the um, conference? Correct. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's, she's awesome. Yeah. Uh, cool story program that truly works. It's one of those, like, if you're passionate, like Stacy is about, you know, creating environments for kids to get into the construction industry. Uh, there's a model. It really works. Catherine will walk us through it. Yeah. So, we don't uh, have to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. And that's what Marilyn's hoping to do by learning from her. And then hopefully we're going to do it four different times across the state of Maryland. There's other states doing this. But Catherine's a great model to model this off of. That's and awesome. Involved. Cool. Yeah. Good. Good for you. Not surprised to hear that you continue to uh, find ways to give back. There. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, all right. So today we have uh, a guest, Saul Rosenbaum. Saul is uh, joining us to talk about contractor and engineer collaboration, getting uh, contractors and engineers to play nice which is a feat. I want to introduce Saul here. Saul owns S&R Engineering and Consulting. In addition to just being someone who is, uh, you know, himself a, a certified engineer, he's also deeply passionate about working with the, the up and coming generation of, uh, of engineers and being a mentor for that group. So Saul, thank you so much for joining us. Um, tell, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, my pleasure. Um, a, a, as you said, I've been in the engineering field for quite a while. We're a little over 20 years now. Um, I'm a mechanical energy engineer, and I primarily work in the due diligence field with commercial real estate, working on engineering review of property condition assessments. I do a lot of energy engineering projects where we assess the properties to help them qualify for various green loan programs. And I'm also very passionate about mentoring younger engineers, and I've created the website, the community of the engineering mentor to kind of help them along their way and give them some of the information that, you know, I wish somebody would have told me. Um, and also, since you mentioned Philly, I, I grew up there. And so, you know, I've certainly been spending a lot of time lately, you know, being that rabid, uh, you know, Phillies fan and Eagles <laughs> fan that we're known, we're, we're known to be. Yeah. Oh, man, that that Phil's game last <laughs> night was rough. I Oh, wait. I don't know if you've watched it. No, 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 I got it, I got it, you know. Listen. <laughs> yeah, listen, we're, we're known to either not care or be sort of insane. As I've gotten older, I've become less insane. But yes, you know, I sort of fell towards that side of the crazy, the crazy thing. It was a, uh, I mean, I used to go yes, out yes. to watch every single Phillies game. Like, it's exhausting. It is exhausting. When your team is doing good. Well, it's, it, which is yeah, well, you know, it's like it's like when the Eagles play on, you know, Monday Night Football. Back in the day, of course you'd watch it, but then you're sort of like, yeah, you know, I got to wake up for work tomorrow, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll watch the first half, you know. Come on. You wouldn't do that no, when you were younger. No, when you were younger, you'd be like, work takes Just a backseat to the Eagles. Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so uh, uh, it's a good rundown to give us a, sen a sense of like the environment that you're most commonly working in. If I'm understanding it right, it's mostly in existing buildings where you're getting involved in, in 
you know, uh, that space. What's your, what's your, uh, interface with the contracting community? How often in your particular world do you end up having a connection on any level with the construction? With the con- I would say our, our audience is typically somewhere in the you know, 50 plus percent contractor, sometimes even 70 percent contractor range. Uh, so so they're definitely going to be wondering what's your, you know, what's your relationship with a constr- with a contractor community? So definitely in, in the early years of my career, like I'd say the first seven years of my career, I certainly had significantly more connection with them than I do currently. Um, back then, I was working on some very large scale energy projects, primarily through you know the, some of the government programs. So, But we would be there after the design, after all the energy calculations initially, we would be there straight through the construction process, through the commissioning at the end. And so I really got the chance to see everything. And then also I used, I was working for business development for a large utility company. So I was doing engineering work, but also working with the contractors when we were putting in some of the new systems to make sure the clients were happy. Since that, that time during, you know, the last 12 or so years that I've been primarily in the due diligence field, a lot of the con the contractor interaction is really when I'm recommending something and they say, okay, you know, what are the specifics that you need just that we understand okay, the end goal is here and here's what we're, we're proposing. Are we meeting that goal? So really the communicate, it's more of a communication at the onset yep. of the project as opposed to the ongoing connection that I had on. Yep, that makes projects. total sense. Okay, so that's where you're coming from. Stacy. do you want to hang out and, and, and be a part of the Q&A with us like you did last week or would you rather, uh, no, yeah, Stacy's like, no, I'm good. I'm going to handle the, the <laughs> it's a lot of FaceTime for Stace. <laughs> I'll get back with you. Very good. Very good. We'll see you in a bit. Um, All right. So, uh, so I want to, you know, at its core, there are, in simple terms, the engineer designs it, the contractor installs it per the design. If I'm speaking as a contractor, and I'll be honest, I, I, the majority of my personal experience is through the contractor lens with a client base that I've worked with for 15 years that's almost exclusively uh, generals and, and, and trade contractors. Through their lens, I, I hear frequently the designers didn't know what they were doing. It's a comment that I get a lot. And it's almost a given like the weather. You know, it's 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 almost a term that you, it like they just, I I cannot tell you the last time, truly. I cannot tell you the last time I had a contractor say, "Man, the engineer really just designed the hell out of this. It is just on point. Like, fantastic. <laughs> Can't believe how well this thing's been done." So that's the that's the the starting point that I hear from is on the contractor side, a, a frustration, a reaction that just, man, design team did not know what they were doing. The plans. And the biggest thing is coordination, coordination of the plans. Documents just don't work and you know, all that kind of stuff. So I'll throw it back over to you, Saul. Uh, what, what is it? Here's, here's my question. What is it to start? What is it that, that the engineers 
what's the stock answer for uh, contractors? Well, you know, listen, I think that the, the engineer likes to think, hey, listen, we're the one with the degree. We know what's right. So just figure it out. And I think that clearly the experience that you're talking about, you know, I'm definitely not going to sweep that under the rug. That is a very valid point that I think the problem is that too often engineers are looking at it within a vacuum. So their design is completely fine with no outside variables, without, you know, getting out there and knowing what's right. You know, for example, I had, you know, way back when we get a call in my office. Now, this was not, it was a project I was working on, but it was not something that I actually designed. He called, they, the contractor called up uh, one of my coworkers and basically said, hey, um, how do you want us to install this uh, water heater? And my coworker was like, I don't know, ins install the water heater. Like, what, why are you even asking me? He's like, well, I don't know if you know, but did what you designed, it can't physically fit through the front door <laughs> of this building. He's like, so, and the guy's like, and that's what they, I remember my engineer told me, he's like, yeah, I mean, I, I did all the load calculations. I did, you know, talk to him about the space, how it's going to be used, what the recovery rate is. And he specified a piece of equipment that met everything perfectly. But like, he didn't turn around and like, look at the front door and go, oh, wait, how are we getting this thing in there? And that's, and the truth is, I think the fact that, you know, I used to do, one of the projects I worked a lot on, like field, field side, was uh, Local Law 87. Going through, it's a New York City energy law, and really like seeing things hands on through those early, you know, projects where we did went through the construction. Actually seeing, okay, when they say they need three feet of, uh, you know, space to work around a piece of equipment, do they really need that, or is that like the bare minimum? I think that. There is, a, there is a disconnect between what the design calls for and what they're actually using. And unfortunately, I think that a lot of that is missed in engineering school. They don't see, okay, wait a second, we got to put this into play. What, what's that going to take? Yeah, I, and I think that we've got our finger right on the pulse of it, which is that the certainly from the contractor perspective, there's a lack of connection with site conditions with reality at, from through the contractor's lens this is what the, it actually is this is what has to happen and what you've designed is not the most efficient it's not the it, it's not even workable there are variables that you're not considering that have to do with real conditions in the field that the contractor sees that the engineer doesn't necessarily see, which is a, which is a totally honest and reasonable mistake. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? An understandable thing. Well, listen, it's, it, it, listen you're right. It, it's an honest mistake, but I think the fact that, you know, there is the theoretical learning of engineering school. And I think that it does give you a great foundation for one's career in engineering, but it does miss out on some of the hands-on work. And so uh, to the extent that, engineers are not told, hey, by the way, talk to these people, go out to these people. And I think there is, I'm happy to see it going away to some extent, but I have seen in my own career various people from both sides where you have the engineer look who looks down on the tech guys, who looks down on the installers. Like, okay, those guys, th those are the blue collar workers. I'm the white collar worker that, you know, I'm inherently above them. And then you, I've also seen, you know, where when you are saying something that is technically correct, 
because they, they sort of, these two parties have gotten a bit hardened against each other. I have seen some of the field guys who will completely brush off anything the engineer says because, you know, they're like, no, no, I, I've been doing it for so long. I know better, which sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't, and they're not even willing to consider it. So it's a, it is a problem that the two sides don't, to some extent, don't respect each other. So I want to go down two roads here. The first one that I'll go down, okay. the, the one is mentoring, and I'm going to get there because I think a lot of you just said, you know, something that triggered for me. Uh, they're not, nobody's telling them in engineering school, Hey, you need to talk to these guys and you need to collaborate with them and it, that type of stuff. So I want to, want to get into that because I think that probably it, it touches on the mentoring side. But before we go there, I, at it, when we talk about any human conflict, really any human conflict, there's often this lack of empathy for the other person's position, the other person's uh, perspective, how they might see the world. And do, do you think, what, what? maybe I'll ask this in a different way. What do you think can help to close the empathy gap between the architect, or I'm sorry, between the engineer and, and the contractor? What are the, what, what should each of these sides be doing to increase their empathy for, therefore see the world, you know, understand how other people perceive things and be much more able to work together through potential conflict rather than having a fight. Right, well, I, I think that, you know, I can certainly speak from the engineering side. I think that first of all, I have seen in my own career, like I mentioned, getting out there in the field and you know, your quote unquote, you know, low, lowly maintenance guy or the, the person who's working in, in a, one of those New York City buildings, the superintendent, yeah, you know what? They know little things. They know how to adjust little things that you would never know in engineering school. It's that field experience and just really being appreciative of what you can learn from them. And this is where I think a lot of young engineers who are coming out of engineering school in the past you know, year or two who are going straight into remote roles are really going to be at a disadvantage because you cannot learn all of this stuff without seeing it. You, you simply can't. And so the, the approach I would say is that if a contractor comes back to you and says, hey, what were you thinking here? You know, just take a step back. Don't take it personally. They're not attacking you. They're attacking you know, the fact that you brought them a design that's not going to work for some reason. Just talk to them. Say, OK, what, what is the problem here? And what are we trying to solve for so that we can move forward? Because A, you're actually going to get a solution to the problem. And B, you're going to give yourself another bit of information that you can use moving forward. From the contractor side, I guess what I would want is just for them to recognize, listen, you're right, it's possible that we made a mistake. It's not to trip you up. We're not trying. Right. We're not We're not actually doing this to you. Yeah, exactly. Like, yes, there was an oversight. And I think that, mo you know, the same way I tell younger engineers, most senior engineers want to help you. So ask for help if you need it. I think that most engineers, if you came to them and said, hey, listen, you know, I know you designed this, it fits in general, but here, here's the issue I have with it, or here's an improvement that I think we can do. What do you think about this? And come to it with a more of a conversational tone. I think most engineers would be pretty receptive to that. Love it. I want to do a little recap of that because there were a few things that really jumped out to me. Number one is it starts with humility. 
I think that's a great point. I think that that should you're talking to the architect, but I think it, or I'm sorry to the engineer, but it goes both ways. It goes. It's it certainly the contractor should have a sense of humility themselves for what they know or what they think they know. If we if we begin with this overconfidence that we are right, we have the answers, we are better for whatever reason, we are better and we and we begin by defending our position. You're already starting in a conflict posture that's going to create needless disagreements and fights where we could just kind of let the truth speak and figure that out together. So that's one is is humility. Two, and it's connected, is less emotional involvement in your piece of the work. If you designed it, just recognize that like there's me, I'm this human, I'm great regardless of whether my design sucked. <laughs> right? Whether my design was not good. Exactly. I, if, if my design needs improvement, that doesn't mean I'm a joker. That doesn't mean I don't know what I'm doing. It just means this design should have been better. And if we can get less emotionally involved in our end of the product, and again, same thing with the contractor, just because this is how you normally install things, or just because you've not done it the way that you're being, you know, suggest that you're that it's being recommended or the way it was designed. Right. Doesn't mean that's wrong. Don't be so emotionally invested in this is how we do it. This is the right way. This is how it, it's always been done, you know, uh, s- sort of things. And then the, the, the third thing that I heard in all of that was build relationships, spend time with each other, get out there and uh, invest in those relationships. When I'm talking with a concrete contractor, I will ask them like, you know, so who are the relationships that you have with structural engineers? And they're like, I mean, I, you know, sometimes we have to deal with them, but that's a totally different answer right. than we, we've got great relationships with these different folks. And, right. and it, just because there's not a straight line to having yeah. a relationship with them and them paying you money doesn't mean it's not worth investing in building those relationships. And and so go ahead, please. Yeah. No, because in the in the end of the day, if you have a better relationship, you're also you're getting them involved early. Because in any project, if you get somebody involved earlier in the process, you know sometimes you don't know the contractor, but if you have a relationship with a contractor, you know that you're going to be using them. You can sometimes run something past them because the truth is, from an engineering standpoint, there can often be more than one way to to approach the problem. And the same thing, you know, on the contractor side, but just because we're looking at it differently, or maybe, you know, you know something about the end user that I don't, and that can make a difference that, which is not, you know, a error in the engineering side. It's more of a, oh, wait a second, here's something else to take into consideration. And then you change your plan. So if everybody's involved earlier on, you certainly have a better relationship and you're going to have a better end product when everything's finished. Love it. So it's, I can't, I can't avoid it. This is a natural question that stems from that. Do you believe, what's your take on companies becoming more vertically integrated on contractors owning engineering capabilities internally? And should engineers be going to work more for engineering firms or should engineers be more joining vertically integrated companies? If you, as you, as you kind of future pace it, what do you imagine happens in the future? And 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 you know, what what would you like to see? 
Right. I mean, listen, where an engineer actually ends up probably depends on which side they like a little bit more, because obviously if you're in the construction firm, you'll probably just be in the field a lot more than if you're in the engineering firm. But I think the idea of having that vertical integration is very important. I think that even, you know, sort of like the same way within the trades of the contractor, it's important to have that integration. I've seen it in my own career. That's very important for, you know, the HVAC designers to understand what the plumbing designers are doing, to understand what the, you know, civil engineers are doing. So you're all sort of working together in the same way that you got to work with the uh, contractors. So if the more, you know, I guess the more involvement or the more uh, opportunity you have to see those other sides, it's going to give you more things to think about. So yeah, I think that a company that has internal contractors, internal engineers, also it works to your own strengths because you may say, hey, here's two two equally, you know, equally uh, viable approaches to a problem. But if you want to say, listen, we just do this one better. This is just our bread and butter. It'll get done faster. That's also something to, to be. Considered. Yeah, that's the, that is the 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 give and take with uh, all conversations on vertical integration is to what extent do you then become a all things to all people and and not actually great at any one given thing. The the more the more turf you try to cover, uh, you know, do you do you cover it effectively? But I, I I like what you're saying that whether we're under the same roof or not, we we need to be working toward that kind of collaboration and being under the same roof doesn't guarantee it and not being under the same yeah. roof doesn't mean you can't do it. Right. I mean, leadership is a, you know, leadership and sort of the approach of a company is going to play a big role. If you have, you know, people who say, Hey, you know what, let, let, let's bring in, you know, one of the guys from over there, let's just kind of see what they have to say and make sure that you have those meetings because listen, I, I, I hate meetings just like, everybody else <laughs> but if you have that 10 minute you know quick quick wrap-up meeting where you bring everybody in just to raise any issues it gets things on the table and gets things considered that that's certainly an approach that i think leads to a much better project I uh, result i do too so so i want to uh pivot to your uh to the to the mentoring topic and in tying in a couple of different thoughts that i've i've been hearing from you on this in this in this show during the show today is on um, you're passionate about doing the mentoring. There's lots of things that you wish people had told you. And also I want to weave in these thoughts about going straight to remote and the dangers of that and what, what we should be doing in terms of, a, 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 a I don't know, ver remote work kind of situation for the young, for the incoming, uh, generation of professionals. Right. Yeah. No. That 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 last uh, that last piece is it is a problem because I think that to some extent you can you know help mentor younger engineers, younger you know contractors, or and talk to them about certain things. But I think what you really miss when you move completely remote is just sort of hey, uh, we're going on site. You want to come? You know, it's not necessarily something that's planned. You just pop in or you see somebody in the hallway, and so you're missing a lot of the conversations that are not directly, you know, related to your exact project. And so if, if you miss that stuff, you, you won't even know that you're missing it. That, that's what it comes down to. And I think that if you are a remote worker, you need to make specific efforts to get out to the field, to go to make sure that you're with the senior folks in your organization. Otherwise, you are going to start falling, falling behind in your development. 
Yeah, I, I think I think the if you fast forward ten years, fifteen years, the people who will be in leadership roles, the people who will be earning more, the people who will be contributing more and more effective in their roles, will be the the ones who chose to spend time in person in the field working with others it'll be kind of like a superpower like look at ken can talk to people let's get ken ken can talk to humans it's amazing yeah no it's it's true and i I don't think you know listen i think that somebody can come with the same skills you know remote not remote but i think that where you're going to develop is going to be through those interactions and so if somebody is completely remote because they always say like you know it's like the out of sight out of mind like if you're not there and you don't have those connections there is a per, just a straight personal connection like when you know the boss and he you know and you know sort of hey what did you do over the weekend there is that personal it, connection yeah. and we shouldn't overlook that but i think that just from a development standpoint i just don't think that some of the younger engineers especially in the you know civil engineering world mechanical engineering world who electrical engineering or who need to see things in the buildings who need to talk to people they're going to miss that out and they're going to lose some of that development so you're right the people who are in a hybrid situation who are in the office more than someone else are going to have a bit of an advantage unless those people who are fully remote really are, are yeah and, it, and again it, it, there's you're, i think you're right just being remote doesn't mean you don't do those things right it doesn't mean you don't know how to human but it, it does mean right. that you, if you don't work at it, it won't natu- it won't happen naturally. You aren't you won't be yes, given you won't exactly. be forced into lots of situations that will that will develop yeah. that naturally. So I love it. It's a great conversation. One one last question that I have to, tied to all this: What is one thing that you weren't told that when you mentor? Uh, other engineers, uh, you know, young engineers that you like, what's the number one piece of advice that you pass along? Well, I, I think very apropos to this audience is the simple fact that those guys in the field have a lot to add to your engineering knowledge. I think that the thought comes in that, well, as you go up in educational level, you have, you've surpassed or you've t- overtaken everybody else who's below that level. And it's, I think it's easy to fall into that that trap, but really to push that aside and look at it from a, a sort of a team perspective that the contractor has something to teach you, you have something to teach the contractor, and if we're all coming at it with a team, you're, you're much better off. And even in your engineering design, when you go back, you know, after you have that conversation with the contractor, you know, like my friend who installed something that, or designed something that couldn't fit into the room, you can be damn sure that every time he designed a new boiler system, a new uh, water heater system. He's looking at that door, or looking at the access on how that piece of equipment can yeah. get in there. Yeah. So it helps, it helps you grow in your engineering knowledge. Yeah, Absolutely. That's awesome. All right, great. I'm going to bring back Stacy, uh, but before I, and, and so that we can get some audience questions, but before I do, I do want to thank our uh, sponsors for today's show. Number one, uh, I want to thank Lawrence Law. Lawrence Law is a boutique law firm uh, that covers the Mid-Atlantic region, and uh, they have a deep construction industry practice. 
top people for everything from day-to-day -day, uh, on call general counsel type stuff to your litigation needs contact lawrence law uh cats abosh fantastic group of accountants focusing on the construction industry among others uh, based in the dc metro and with capabilities uh, regionally for sure if you're a contractor thinking about a strategic relationship with an accounting firm that actually adds value beyond just the numbers, contact Katz Abosh. And lastly, Frisco Woodline. This is a uh, custom lumber supply company based in, uh, in Prince George's County, Maryland. Uh, everybody that I know who works with Frisco Woodline uh, knows them to be a responsive, uh, relationship-oriented sales team that knows how to uh, get their customers what they need when they need it. So reach out to Frisco Woodline. Uh, I want to now uh, toss it over to you, Stacy, for audience questions. We have a ton of engagement this morning and lots of comments on this topic. So um, I did have, let's see. Um, we had um, Jesse Huff, he, he made a comment, owners typically only pay the bare minimum to get permit drawings. How can we kind of, how can we talk to owners more and try to extend that or show the value that they need more information besides permit drawings? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's funny because I, I guess that's part of a problem of the permitting agency problem. To some extent, not requiring more detail, but also them being, you know, some people, like they, they drag the process out. So everybody's like, okay, what's the least that we can do to move forward? Um, but that is a problem because if obviously if the engineer is only required to do one little thing, not look at the whole piece, then the contractor is going to be left in a lurch. You know, in the end of the day, I think that the owner has to just understand, hey, this is going to cause a delay if we don't have proper drawings. And I think that's something that speaks to them. If that if there's a delay in this project, that's going to affect your bottom line, affect your ROI. You're not going to finish the project. So it's about speaking their their language, talking to them about the contractor and the engineer not getting along. Probably that they don't care because they're not dealing with either one. They just want to know why their project isn't finished yet. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and Mark Jury had quite a bit to say on the topic, so I'm trying to summarize this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for any of you that want to go back and watch the live and read his comments, they're really great. Um, but he, his whole thing was, um, to a great extent, this goes back to the procurement method um, on holding things up, up, like construction starts and concealed conditions are uncovered, coordination issues arise and claims for additional cost are submitted. And then the owner pushes back, contractor uh, blames on incomplete design, and then the, the designer screams means and methods, and th that's where the fight begins. Is that something that you see a lot, or, or how can we improve the procurement process? Right. I mean, I, I think that sort of un unforeseen circumstances it is a problem that engineers can run into and um, the contractors can run into. I remember there was one project we were working on. We were trying to put in, we were decentralizing a system or turning off a system to go to unoccupied mode. 
in the evening hours where it was for a big building and they had just like one air handling unit serving an entire floor. And so, but there were certain areas that had to have 24 seven serve, you know, cooling. But once we started opening up the roof and start opening up the ceiling, and getting in there, you realize, oh, there's structural beams going across. You can't bring a, uh, a duct across where you thought. And these are things where, I mean, you're not going to, you simply are not going to go in and open up all the walls to see everything, to have these unforeseen circumstances and these change orders. I think it really shouldn't be a matter of blame because honestly, the engineer couldn't have known that. The contractor couldn't have known that. And so I think that the two sides, you know, we're, we're sort of blaming the wrong person. Like let's, and it's really honestly, it's not a blame. It really, it's a matter of telling the owner, hey, wait a second. The stand, if you want us to rip up, open up every single wall and see what's in there just to design the project, or you want the, you know, you want the contractor to start digging footers before knowing that, oh, wait, there's bedrock right there. Like just, there are things that you can't know without starting. And so yeah. you hope that those changes are minimal. But I think there has to be an understanding between the contractor and the engineer that, wait, that this is, you know, par for the course. Yeah. Which is, which isn't that where relationships come in? Like at the end of the day, just be, yeah. being able to, being able to reach out to each other one-to-one -one. And, and it brings, it, it does bring to mind the, the, um, you're probably going there, Stacy Dennis's comment, uh, you know, just kind of keeping the, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, I wasn't go, but it's, it's, you know, the, the, the comment between, so Dennis suggested, Hey, when you're working through a design issue, don't copy the world on an email, keep it to the engineer and yourself to yeah. start the discussion. Copying a large crowd puts the engineer on defense. And I think that's, mm -hmm. I think that's, that's uh, really good advice that it, as a, for, for a contractor, uh, who let's be honest is, is just like everybody else trying really hard to make sure that they don't hold the hot potato, right? Like everybody's trying to, if the hot potato is right. risk, it's like, ah, you know, and, and, and they, and they're throwing out the, the hot potato to basically say, it's not mine. It is a relationship damaging move. Yeah. Right. To, to, to publicly, you know, shame, uh, in, in, in some, somebody where you could be reaching out to that person one-to-one -one and sort of saying like, Hey, here's a thing. What do you think about it? How do we work together through this? Mm -hmm. Well, I think also, Chad, I think that's, it's an important, you know, important lesson just in general for that. I like to convey to the younger engineers, but it works here as well, that if you talk to that person one-on-one -on -one and you say, okay, here's the problem. Here's, here's some potential solutions. Then at least you're coming to the owner and saying, Hey, listen, this is going to cost you more money because of this, you know, this problem that we found, but here are two solutions. Which direction do you want to go? They see that you're working towards the solution and that also helps smooth things over. I love it. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to say, I don't know if you can see, there was a Chad Smeltzer that also made some great comments, but I had lost connections behind the scenes and now they're not appearing. Do you see in the feed? I think he was just saying how awesome we were. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I see his comment here. He talks about the, the, the engineers lack, lack, lack field experience and cannot relate to real world construction situations. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, we talked about yes, that. Yes, that, yeah. that, that is a problem. Um, no, Chad, I definitely agree. Um, you know, I think that also something that a lot of engineers shy away from is when they're looking for internships, they look for, you know, internships that are, you know, very, you know, engineering in, in, in the sense. And they don't even think to say, hey, wait a second, what if I go to something that's peripherally connected? It'll help in your, your general engineering work. So I think that 
there are civil engineers who, if you did more internships, you know, in the field in construction over the summer, I think that could be more valuable or just as valuable as a straight civil engineering internship. Okay. So they can see that field work. Cause I agree. If they can get out in the field, it's there's no downside there. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so I've got your uh, uh, website for uh, theengineeringmentor.com uh, up here on the screen, something that folks should check out and direct young engineers to in, in the life around you. And in fact, probably as a, as a contractor, you would uh, get value from, from reading through some of the advice that Saul has for uh, young engineers. I know it's, um, it's a different world, but there's always good, uh, good advice to, um, to go around. Uh, how would we also learn more about your company, Saul? Um, so the truth is everybody can just connect with me on LinkedIn. I do have, you know, a general focus of engineering related people in my network, but I do love to have, you know, sort of anybody who's connected to that, even in the slightest uh, manner, because I do find that I can learn from their posts, learn different things, and just have other things to consider. So yeah, please, please reach out to me on LinkedIn, just search for Saul Rosenbaum PE, happy to uh, network with you and learn from each other. Awesome. Good stuff. Uh, Saul, anything else for us before we uh, uh, part ways today? Um, you know, just that contractors shouldn't think uh, engineers are all evil. You know, we're, we're, we're good people too. We're allowed <laughs> to make mistakes and uh, let's work together for the best uh, end result. Agreed. 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 Awesome. <laughs> all right, cool. Thank you so much, Saul. Uh, it was great uh, chatting with you and um, we uh, will certainly keep in touch and wish you the best. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Take All care, right, guys. Take care. Yeah, thanks. Um, all right, Stacy, <laughs> let's uh, let's talk a little bit about next week. Yeah, so. Right. So, yeah. Who do, who do we have? It's 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 Catherine. Yes. Talk, uh, uh, we've got <laughs> Catherine. What's Catherine's last name? I'm so sorry. Oh, please don't let me pronounce it. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those hard ones. Let's let her pronounce Catherine her name. Catherine S. Catherine S. She's from Stay Safe. And like I said in the beginning of the episode, she um, has a tried and true program for in New Hampshire that, um, and I, I think hers is going on at least last week or coming. So when she gets on the episode, she can talk about her experience for this year. Um, so that'll be very exciting. But um, I'm sure she'll talk about how contractors can get involved more early on, because this topic we're always seeing on LinkedIn, you know, how do we get people involved or kids involved early on and attract them to the trade? So yeah. she'll be able to tell us. Love it. Awesome. Great to hear. I think um, uh, another thing that I, I just want to call out is that Stacy and I had a planning conversation last week and are really excited about some, you know, uh, decisions that we've made about the show moving forward. And, and, uh, we, we anticipate that in 2024, we'll be doing at least 32, if not a few more shows over the course of that year with some specials, uh, woven mm -hmm. in and, and that type of stuff. And even though this is our last show for this season, we will be having at least one more special coming mm -hmm. up in November. So stay tuned on that. We'll be having, um, uh, you know, shows here and there in between seasons uh, where cool opportunities to join uh, things live present themselves uh, and things like that. As always, email us to be added to our weekly mailing list, stacyh at steeltoecom.com. We will see everyone next week. And uh, 
you know, if, if you're catching this show for the first time, you can go back and check all of the shows out on Apple, on Spotify and on YouTube, uh, as well as on LinkedIn, though, that's a, a more complicated tool to navigate when it comes to watching all the shows. But, um, anything else, uh, Stacy that I'm missing? Um, no, I think you covered it all. And just, I'll be, um, looking for guests that, and that will pick up the second week in, uh, January. So, um, if you know somebody, um, that, creates positive change in the construction industry and you think would be a great guest or a topic that we haven't covered, um, please reach out to me and we'll, we'll get that started. Beautiful. All right, Stacy. see you soon. All right. See ya. Have a great see day. everyone. See ya. <clears throat>